0: So uh, we are all in the midst of this massive interrupt moment. And what we're doing over these weeks is we're looking at moments when Jesus, we believe is God made flesh, made human, interrupts people's lives. And they're never the same again, because, you know, we believe in a God who wants to interrupt us, who wants to get our attention. He loves us. He wants to connect with us. And, And it's not just that he wants to say to us, look, I'm here but actually he wants us to join in with what he's doing in the world, trying to put uh, the wrong things right, as we'll discover today. And I want to look super briefly at uh, an interrupt moment that was so powerful and so provocative that, that, to be honest, it essentially signed Jesus' death warrant. It was so serious. I wonder what you think of when you think of Jesus, what words you would use to describe him. What word would you use to describe Jesus? I
1: think, goodness
0: goodness what would you like I guess people would say faithful compassionate Mm -hmm. maybe words kind generous I don't think anyone would probably say angry when you Mm -hmm. think of Jesus you think Jesus is angry and actually the reality is most of the time he's not but there are three occasions in the Bible when he does get angry and I'm just going to look at just one of those occasions which uh, is in all four gospels But if you've got a Bible, you might want to look at it. it's in Matthew 21. And this this moment happens on what we call Palm Sunday. It's the day that Jesus enters Jerusalem. Thousands of people lining the streets as he comes in on a donkey. They're waving palm branches. They're singing. They're hoping and believing he's their Messiah. He's the one who's going to put the wrong things right, going to deal with the Romans. And he as he crosses the threshold into Jerusalem, goes through the golden gate, everyone's expecting him to go and see Herod and basically give give Herod a good telling off for some of the corruption within the, the authorities and the system, but instead Jesus takes a turn to their temple. And he goes into the temple and he is seething with anger. And it's and it's this moment, you may have heard this story that Jesus basically goes into the temple and he turns over the tables, and there's corrupt money flying everywhere, and and doves flying everywhere, and goats <laughs> running. There were goats back then, of <laughs> course, as well. There were goats there, not on zoos, but in the <laughs> temple, like absolute carnage craziness going on. And and the reason that Jesus is so angry and he really is angry it literally says there's a there's a word in matthew that says he drove the the temple money changers out and that word in the original language literally means he forcibly grabbed them and threw them out in the temple and, and the reason that he was so angry is the temple was supposed to be a place where people could connect with god it was supposed to be a place where they could receive forgiveness and blessing and restoration but it became the very opposite of that. He had three issues. Issue number one, the people who really needed God the most, the sick, the oppressed, the struggling, the outcast, those who felt they were terrible sinners or seen by society as terrible sinners, they couldn't even get close to the temple. Secondly, if they could get close, if anyone could get close, then they were caught into this corrupt money-changing system where, where money was being traded Um, Jewish uh, Roman shekels had to be exchanged for Tyrian shekels, temple currency. Everyone was being ripped off. Uh, And so that was outrageous. But the worst problem of all, the third problem was that they were putting a price on forgiveness at all. Mm. That's what, what made Jesus really mad. This God's forgiveness, God's restoration, God's life was supposed to be free for anyone who wanted it. And so he steps into the temple in this corrupt moment, and he basically turns everything upside down. Such is the anger that he feels about what's going on. And in verse 14 of of Matthew 21, we get this this beautiful little verse. You, You could miss it. It's not mentioned in the other gospel accounts. But in the midst of this chaos that Jesus creates, it says this. And then the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. And like, this is this is an incredible moment, because for the first time ever, the blind and the lame get into the temple. They're never, ever allowed. But because of what Jesus does, they get in and he heals them. Jesus does for them what no one else can do because he is God. And, and that word healed literally again in the original Greek language of the New Testament. It means to serve, to heal and to restore. That's what Jesus does in this moment when he turns everything upside down. And if you read on, you'll see the chief priests and the temple leaders. They're so mad. They sign his death warrant. And six days later, he'll end up on the cross, ultimately because of this final event. Like, what does this story uh, tell us? How does it speak to us today? Three things super quickly as we start to draw our time to a close. Number one, this story tells us about God's relentless rescue. That The God that we serve cares deeply for people. He will do whatever it takes to rescue people. And, 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 And he is angry about injustice. He is angry when people cannot connect with the life and the forgiveness and the blessing and the wholeness of life that he wants to bring he will do whatever it takes he will turn tables upside down he will do whatever is needed in order to see that hopeless people receive hope and new life in him and ultimately six days later he would he would show this and prove this once and for all he will even give his life do you know God loves you more than he loves his own life that he would be willing to die on the cross, paying the price of all of our rejection and the consequences of, of ignoring God, all the darkness and death we see in the world. He pays the price on the cross and he rises again. This God is a God of relentless rescue. He will do whatever it takes to rescue people. You know, some people are saying, you know, in this current moment of COVID, you know, we're, um, it, you know, we're all susceptible to this. It's, you know, and and that is true. But the reality is we may all be in the same storm, but we're definitely not in the same boat. Mm. And there are people in our world today, there are people in our community today, because of issues of poverty or or health or whatever, they are far more vulnerable to health risks, be it physical or mental. And God, cares about that that matters to him and if you're watching this this morning and you feel broken or hurt or alone or frustrated or sick or worried or anxious or fearful if you're feeling any of those things I want you to know that God cares about that he cares about you he weeps with you and he longs you he longs for you to be restored and he will do whatever it takes to rescue you from that This story tells us about God's relentless rescue. Secondly, it talks about our revolutionary responsibility, that God is so passionate about this that he invites us to join in with what he is doing. That that we are called to be involved in in works of heaven, works of goodness in the world. It's it's not enough that we have food on our shelves. What about the people who don't have food on theirs? who don't have enough clothes or or, are worried about paying their bills, who are worried about a roof over their head. It's not enough for us to think we're okay. What about people who are not okay? we are called to join in with what god's doing to be the answer to some of our prayers to do what jesus would do if he was us to be concerned about the the poor and the oppressed and the the struggling in times like this and this is revolutionary because we live in such a me-centered self-centered consumeristic culture that's all about me and jesus says that's not what life is about life is about giving and serving we are called to join jesus in what he is doing to serve and to heal and to restore people and on a practical level, a financial level, a relational level, but also at a spiritual level, that they would know personally the God who gave his life and rose again yeah. so that they could know him both now and for all eternity. This story tells us about God's relentless rescue, our revolutionary responsibility and finally, I think we as the church, not just CEO, but the church across the country, this church, this story should provoke us about the church's rigorous refining. This is a moment I feel, and I know many of you feel it too, and many other church leaders across the country and the, and the world, that God is doing something right now in the midst of this crisis, that he's shaking his church, that maybe if, if Jesus stepped into all of our churches right now, he'd be pointing to things like he pointed to the Jerusalem temple and and say, I don't like that, I don't want that in my house, that attitude, that action, this needs to change, maybe we need to get back to the fundamental thing, maybe God is refining his church, and through this process, we will recognize that things must change, whenever this thing goes back to whatever normal is, that it won't be normal anymore, there will be new things that we're going to do, you know, the tragedy of this temple story is, if you know, when Jesus rose uh, when Jesus died on Good Friday, it tells us in the moment he died, the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom, from heaven to earth. It was like God's final way of saying this temple is done. God has left the building. He is moving into people by his spirit. People now become temples. But you know what the tragedy is? Those people, they just got a new curtain and they put the new curtain up and they went back to business as usual without realizing that God had left the, biz- the building. the We don't want to do that, church. We are in a moment of saying, "Okay, God, what are you calling us to? What are you refining? What do we need to stop doing? What's the new that you want us to do? We just put it all before you. Rigorously refine your church. Do it for Zio. Do it for other people that this can be a church that you want to be part of God, that you are blessed by, that you are pleased with God's refining of his church in this moment. What does that mean for you today? How might you respond to God's relentless rescue, our revolutionary responsibility? How will you play your part in the future in in the church's rigorous refining that we would be the church, that Jesus wants to be a place of serving and healing and restoration of all people of all backgrounds? We want to be that good news. Amy, why don't you just leave us in, in some prayer just before we close.
1: Absolutely. Let's just take a pause moment. Just wherever you are right now, it might be helpful to close your eyes or might be helpful just to have a focus of something in your room, just to say, God, how can this word land in my heart and land in my actions? Yes, Lord. And as we already said today, Lord, we want to be your people that are dressed and ready for service. We want to keep our lamps burning. We're aware, God, this is a wake-up moment for us. It's a wake-up moment for your church. We thank you for your relentless rescue over our life. And for any of us watching today that have not yet received that rescue, that have not yet received that relationship with you, maybe now could be our moment, Lord, to... Reach into you, to reach to you, Jesus, and your plan and purpose for our life and be connected. Mm. We thank you, God, for your relentless rescue of your world. And we want to say sorry for the times where we've lived out of step of that rescue, where we've gone into our own motives and we've forgotten our kingdom responsibility to be dressed and ready for service. And with the much that you have given us, be ready to give much back to your world. God, for our revolutionary responsibility, we pray that we would come out of a me-centered mentality and enter into an us-centered mentality, being your hands and feet in this world, given much as you have given much to us. And for this moment in time where you're challenging your worldwide church, God, yeah. we ask that us here that call ourselves to be part of this church, your church, CEO. We ask that we would give you the permission right now to stir up our church and stir up us as individuals, Lord God, to have that rigorous, Lord God, refine him. Yeah. Come on. Lord, Lord we want you to do a work in us. We want to come out of this changed. We don't want to go back to everything that it's been, but we want to come out of this different, Lord Jesus. We don't want to be guilty like they were guilty, Lord Jesus, as the temple of going back to business as usual, Lord. Yeah. We want to look for the new, and we want to look for the new wineskins, Lord God, that you would have for your church in this moment. Yeah. So on all these thoughts, we offer them to you, God. Would yeah. you challenge us? Yeah. Would you refine us, Lord God? And in all of this, we thank you that you've gone before, And therefore, we need not fear. You have us. You have us in your hands, Lord God. Yeah. So we surrender this moment to you. Yeah. And we determine our hearts and our lives to live out this word that we've heard today in your name, Jesus.
0: Yeah. Amen. 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 Thanks, Amy. I really want to encourage you just before we. Share just some news for the week ahead that if you are a follower of Jesus, a great prayer to pray every day as you start your day is God, if you were me living in my body, which actually Jesus is by his spirit, if you were me with the resources that I have available to me, however big or small they are, like Amy said earlier, what would you do? Mm, good. And give me the courage and the commitment to do that. Jesus, if you were me, with the resources that I had available, in this current circumstance, what would you do? Mm. Help me to do that by your spirit helping me.